Amen. Thank you for sharing that. Um, I'd like to open with a prayer. Let's pray. Lord, Father, we thank you for this day. We thank you for your faithfulness. We thank you, Lord, for all you do, for all you've given. We pray, Father, for your presence here. We pray that you fill us. We pray for an anointing over the words that are spoken here, Lord, that you would pour out your spirit, pour out your blessing, that you'd give us, give me words to speak. Lord, that you, that you would speak here, that you would receive glory from our lives. I pray for wisdom. Pray that your name would be glorified this day. Bless our time here and give us ears to hear and hearts to understand your word and your heart for us in Jesus' name. Amen. <clears throat> Amen. So this morning, um, I want to go a little bit in a different direction with this. Um, this morning, I want to speak on surrender. Surrendering to Christ. We hear, uh, we talk quite a bit on about surrender here in our circle. Um, surrendering your life, surrender to Christ. And I want to speak today, hopefully, and shed some light on what that means. Um, how do we do that? What does that mean in a real, in a practical sense? And uh, to my surprise, um, I never found the word surrender used in the New Testament. Unless my search program doesn't work. Um, so I wonder, I have to wonder right away, do we overuse the word? Do we misuse the word? Um, but if you look at it, the idea of Yielding and surrendering to Christ is at the core of all his teachings. It's a foundational, it's a, it's a fundamental principle. And uh, I think, I think what, what, uh, what might have kept the word from being used is that uh, the definition of, the, 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 of surrender is usually associated with defeat, with force with being forced to surrender. Jesus never forced anyone to follow him. He never forced anyone to surrender to him. He never coerced anyone or manipulated anyone into surrendering to him. He hardly even ever pressured people into following him. And it's one of the things about looking at the gospel and reading the gospel that I've often wondered at, and I still wonder at, how Jesus presented the gospel, and yet people flocked and followed after him and sought him. Um, in fact, he, he seemed to do the opposite of trying to coerce people and, and, and convince people to follow him. He seemed to say, to say things to keep people. Sometimes he said things that seemed to drive away the, the multitudes, to drive away the, the big crowds. 
And uh, there's, there's several passages that we could go to on that. So surrender. Um, I like to start with the definition. Surrender is to cease resistance to an enemy or opponent and to submit to their authority. To cease resistance to an enemy or opponent and submit to their authority. Definition B, to give up or hand over a person, right, or possession, typically on compulsion and demand. And I think that's a little bit where the conflict might be in using this term um, as, as looking at the gospel and the teachings of Christ, typically by compulsion and demand. Uh, Jesus doesn't use compulsion. He doesn't demand our authority or our, our um, surrender. And yet, maybe he does. It's a requirement. <clears throat> and definition C is to abandon oneself entirely to a power, powerful or emotional influence. To give into. To give into. <clears throat> and that's the one probably that applies the most. To abandon oneself entirely to a powerful emotion or influence and to give into. And the synonyms are abandon, relinquish, resign, wave, and yield. And I think we all understand what, what surrender is, what it means in, in the very practical sense. Um, and I want to start with a, with a verse, with a passage out of James 4, James chapter 4, starting at verse 6. And it's verses we all know um, because we know a song that goes, that comes out of James 4. So James 4, but he giveth more grace, wherefore he saith, God resisted the proud, but giveth grace to the humble. And I want, to, I want you to, to see and look if, if you can see surrender in this passage. God resisted the proud, but giveth grace unto the humble. Submit yourselves, submit yourselves therefore to God. Resist the devil and he will flee from you. Draw nigh to God. And he will draw nigh to you. Cleanse your hands, ye sinners, and purify your hearts, ye double-minded. Be afflicted and mourn and weep. Let your laughter be turned to mourning and your joy to heaviness. Humble yourselves in the sight of the Lord, and he will lift you up. Humble yourselves in the sight of the Lord, and he will lift you up. So if, if you can see it, what, I, what I'm driving at here is that there's a humility in surrender. There's a humility you have to accept before you surrender. And it goes together with it. You can't surrender and maintain your rights. You can't surrender and stay who you are. There's a sacrifice and there's a humility but there's also a promise if we do it in Christ. <clears throat> we have to accept to surrender. To surrender to Christ, you have to accept that you yourself, you can't do it. We have to accept that we need His grace. <clears throat> so surrender. So I have a short story here. Um, 
And I, I think it's one that maybe you can all relate to. Anyways, that's it's one of the things I think of when I think of surrender, when I think of the word. Um, and you have two boys get into a wrestling match. And if you're a boy, you've probably lived through this, or at least you've seen it happen. They start wrestling, grappling and twisting and turning for a few minutes. And finally, one of the boys gets a neck hold and holds the other down. Everybody knows we, we about have a winner, but the other boy keeps struggling and struggling. Red faces, angry eyes, sweat, pant, heavy panting. Both are getting tired out. The one with the chokehold starts squeezing and says, Say surrender. Say surrender. But no, the struggle continues. He squeezes harder. And says again, Say you surrender. <clears throat> he squeezes even harder. Finally, the other boy croaks, croaks out something that sounds like surrender. And there's a second pause and, and then the release. The victorious boy gets up, red-faced and triumphant. The one who surrendered stays on the floor, panting, trying to catch his breath. Red-faced and bloodshot eyes, he braces himself up. <clears throat> And uh, says, you choked me. You almost killed me. Are you crazy? I almost passed out. Well, you didn't surrender. The triumphant winner replies, dusting himself off. You should have surrendered. As the defeated lad keeps protesting the abuse he received, we have to wonder... Why didn't he just surrender? Why didn't he just surrender? Why did he keep resisting surrender while he was struggling in pain and nearly suffocating? He didn't want to surrender. He didn't want to give up. He didn't want to accept that he was defeated. He wanted so bad to win. To get out on top. And I think in one way or another we can all relate. We all want to win. We all don't want to admit defeat. We all want to be the strong one. We all resist surrender. <clears throat> so that's one of the things. It's one of the things I grew up with as a boy, you know. In a wrestling match, it was like, surrender, surrender. And if you did, you were, it was over. But it's hard to accept. <clears throat> So, taking this to a, 
to our spiritual life, taking that to, and plugging it into Christianity. Plugging it into a relationship and a life in Christ. What does that mean? So if you want to turn to a passage out of Luke 9, Luke chapter 9, verse, uh, verse 57. <clears throat> and it came to pass as they went in the way. A certain man said unto him, Lord, I will follow thee whithersoever thou goest. And Jesus said unto him, Foxes have holes, the birds of the air have nests, but the Son of Man hath not where to lay his head. And here is an example of what I said earlier, what Jesus presented when, Jesus, when he presented the gospel of the kingdom. He didn't tell people come and we'll talk about it. He said, here's how it's going to be. It's going to be rough. This man, I assume, he was, he was hard on. He wanted security. He wanted safety. And Jesus says to him, foxes have holes, the birds of the air have nests, but the Son of Man had not where to lay his head. And the question is, how much are we ready to give up? How much are we ready to surrender? Our home, our family, our comforts, our habits. How much are we ready to surrender? And he said to another, verse 59, follow me. But he said, Lord, suffer me first to go bury my father. And Jesus said unto him, let the dead bury the dead. But go thou and preach the kingdom of God. Sometimes, like I said, I wonder if, if Jesus was trying to get rid of these guys. <laughs> maybe they were just coming in and trying to be part of the in crowd. Or maybe he was just trying, they were just trying, this person was just trying to impress the people that were looking on there. I don't know. But he says, let the dead bury the dead. Like... Really, Jesus, it's a funeral. And I, I don't quite... Jesus certainly had no problem with a man paying respects to his father. And to bury, to bury and mourn the dead was an extremely high priority for the Jews at that time. They had days and weeks... Uh, of mourning and ceremonies and, and crying. It was, it was quite normal to have weeks of mourning, like at the story of, uh, we can see at the story of uh, Lazarus. Four days later, there were still all those people there mourning, and he was four days in the grave already. We're all gone four days after the burial. Well, three hours after the burial, we had out. In our time here. So it was, it was a big deal. And to not do this would have been viewed as disrespectful, especially toward your own father. So what was he asking of the man? I think he was asking, are you ready to surrender your reputation? It's a high call. Verse 61, and to another, and another also said, Lord, I will follow thee, but let me first go bid them farewell, which are at home at my house. 
And Jesus said unto him, No man having put his hand on the plow and looking back is fit for the kingdom of God. To bid his family farewell. You know, even Elijah, let Elisha go back and, and have a farewell party for his son, for his, uh, for his friends, for his family. But Jesus said, follow me. Don't even look back. <clears throat> and these are, these are challenging points. How much are you ready to give up? How much are you ready to surrender? Our home, our family, our traditions, our reputation. Sacrifice. You even have to sacrifice a lot of our rights and traditions. Our rights and privileges. That's one of the big things we need to say. We need to surrender. So why surrender? So in practical terms, what does it mean to surrender to Christ? In my day-to-day -day life, what does it mean? Does it mean I throw up my hands and give up and stand there? Just stand there. Does it mean I sit down, I kneel down with my head down and just stay there? What's the position of a, of a surrendered man? Kneel down, head down. Someone who surrendered usually has their head down. You're broken, you're defeated. So what happens when someone surrenders? When someone surrenders, when an army, when, when a people, when somebody completely surrenders and it gives up, what happens? What do they do? They give up their rights. You're usually talking about giving up your rights. <clears throat> they give up their rights to negotiate terms or to make conditions. You give up your right to make conditions, to make exceptions. When a country or an army is overpowered and they're clearly going to lose a battle or a war, the opposing army uh, or the, the, the threatened army will often send a delegation out asking for conditions of surrender, terms or conditions of surrender. And they ask this incoming army, and they ask them, what do you want? What, what do you want? Before you, you destroy everything, can we, can we talk? Can we negotiate? What are your terms? Can we just settle this peacefully? And... Uh, Usually they'll say, if you agree to do so and so, and, and, uh, or if you give up these rights, or if in, in the past, sometimes it's been, if you pay so and so much every year, what do they call that? Uh, a tribute. If you pay a tribute of so and so much every year, um, we'll just leave and you pay the tribute, and, or maybe we'll, we'll set up a new king, we'll put in a new, a new government, and uh, 
the government steps down, we put them away, we put in a new government. And so they'll ask for terms of and conditions of peace. What do we what do you want? Conditions of surrender. Uh, and that's that's negotiating terms. Then there are conditions. We'll surrender if you do so and so. You can keep certain rights, and sometimes they'll bargain. Sometimes the general or the king of the country or the or the army, in those situations, you know, he'll bargain for his safety. He'll say, you know, he's sometimes he might be more concerned about his life than actually the country or the army. And he'll say, you know, he'll put in a clause for himself. Uh, what are you going to do with the with the with the government officials? And they'll bargain that way. And of course, everybody wants to get away with the least amount of damage. <clears throat> so uh, the smaller army, the one who's up for defeat, who's probably going to be defeated, um, they're usually willing to negotiate. It's quite attractive for the one who will inevitably probably be defeated because they can avoid the casualties and the loss that the coming battle would, would bring. So no army will fight if they can avoid a battle and achieve the same results. <clears throat> you know, if, if we're going to be defeated anyway, we're going we're gonna to try and get at least get some privilege out, privileges out of this to avoid the battle, uh, negotiate something, and then uh, we'll go on. So the higher your chances of winning the battle, the greater your bargaining power. If there's two big armies and they're both convinced they can win, it's going to be a bloody mess because they won't negotiate. They won't they won't be coming up with conditions because they don't want both don't want to don't want to um, surrender anything. There's actually a parable that Jesus gave to show us the kingdom in Luke 14, 31. He says, Or what king going to make war against another king sitteth not down first and consulted whether be able to, with 10,000 to meet him that cometh against him with 20,000? Or else, while the other is yet a great way off, he sendeth an ambassage, uh, he sendeth ambassadors and desired conditions of peace. So likewise, whosoever... Of whosoever he be that of you that forsaketh not all he hath cannot be my disciple. Whosoever it be that forsaketh not all he hath, he cannot be my disciple. And it's it's I found it interesting that Jesus used this parable. Jesus put a high calling on his disciples. There's another passage, just like the other one, very much like the other one, in, uh, in Luke 14. Continuing in Luke 14 on the same, on the same note. <clears throat> and when one of them that sat at meat with him heard these things, he said unto him, Blessed is he that shall eat bread in the kingdom of God. And he said unto him, A certain man made a great supper and bade many. And sent his servant at supper time to say to them that were bidden, Come, 
for all things are now ready. And they all with one consent began to make excuse. The first said unto him, I have brought a piece of I have bought a piece of ground, and I must needs go see it. I pray thee have me excused. And another said, I have bought a five yoke of oxen, and I go to prove them. I pray thee have me excused. And another said, I have married a wife, and therefore I cannot come. So that servant came and showed his Lord these things. And the master of the house, being angry, said to his servant, Go out quickly into the streets and lanes of the city, and bring hither the poor, and the maimed, and the halt, and the blind. And the servant said, Lord, it is done, as thou hast commanded, <clears throat> and yet there is room. And the Lord said to his servant, Go out into the highways and hedges, and, and compel them to come in, that my house may be filled. For I say unto you that none of those men which were bidden shall taste my supper. So the question is, are we one of those men? Are we one of those that refused? Like the opening shared, like the opening had, are we one of those that have our priorities on those things? What does God want from us? No, what does God require of his disciples, of his children? Verse 25, and there went out, went the great multitudes with him. <clears throat> and here we see the great multitudes. And he turned and said unto them, If any man come to me and hate not his father and mother and wife and children and brethren and sisters, yea, his own life also, he cannot be my disciple. And here he uses strong words, hate. Whosoever doth not bear his cross and come after me cannot be my disciples. Cannot be my disciple. For which of you, intending to build a tower, sit it not down first and counted the cost, whether he have sufficient to finish it? <clears throat> and I'll read this again. I had it earlier. For which of you intending to build a tower sit it not down first and counted the cost, whether he have sufficient to finish it? And Jesus seemed to stress this, count the cost. It's going to cost you a lot. He didn't flippantly call people, just come, everybody come, come and follow me. He said, count the cost. Lest happily after he had laid the foundation and is not able to finish it, all that behold it begin to mock him, saying, This man <clears throat> began to build and was not able to finish. Or what king going to make war against another king sit it not down first and consulted whether he be able with 10,000 to meet him that cometh against him with 20,000? Or else, while the other is yet a great way off, he sendeth an embassage, and desired conditions of peace, so likewise whosoever he be of you, that forsaketh not all that he hath, cannot be my disciple. And it's amazing that Jesus, from every person that chooses to follow him, he has the same requirement. For the rich man, 
He asks for everything. He asks for full surrender. He asks that he gives up everything he has. For the poorest man begging on the street corner, he asks for his full surrender. He asks for his full trust for everything. Total commitment from everyone. To everyone, he gives the same word. Follow me. Trust me. Walk with me. And yet we resist, yet we, we struggle, we, we hide, we fight. We try to protect ourselves, to make ourselves look good. What is the struggle? Don't we trust God that he will keep his promises no matter what? So we talked about terms of surrender here. What are Jesus' terms? What are Jesus' terms? See, a lot of times in our lives, we try to negotiate. We try to negotiate with God. We try to have him make him take our terms. God, I want you. I want everything. I want what you have to offer. But I want it on my terms. But he's not, he's not into negotiating. He's given us his terms. <clears throat> what are Jesus' terms, terms of surrender? We just went over most of them. They're not very hard to understand. They're really quite simple. He says he must be first and most important in our lives. And the question is, is he not worthy? Is he not worth it? <clears throat> is he not the almighty creator of heaven and earth? And all that is in them. Did he not give himself to suffer and die for you? In your place. Taking our punishment, paying the ransom price for our sins, a price that we could never pay, a debt that we could never pay for, a situation we could never crawl out of. What are his terms? You'll have to surrender your reputation for his. If you're not ready to surrender your father, your mother, your wife, your children, your brothers and sisters, even your own life, we're not worthy of him. <clears throat> Matthew 10, verse 27. He that loveth father and mother more than me is not worthy of me. And quite, quite often, he says, father, mother, friends, and family. Um, Brothers and sisters, he that, he that loveth son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me. 
He that taketh not his cross and followeth after me is not worthy of me. He that findeth his life shall lose it. He that loseth his life for my sake shall find it. Matthew 19, verse 29, For everyone that hath forsaken houses, or brethren, or sisters, or father, or mother, or wife, or children, or lands, for my name's sake, shall receive a hundredfold, and shall inherit everlasting life. And there's the promise. There's the terms. And that's the beauty of the gospel. That's the beauty of the promises. That if we surrender it to Him, if we give it to Him, He brings it back abundantly. He gives it back abundantly, a hundredfold. But first we have to sacrifice. First we have to give it to Him. We have to surrender our lives to Him. And He abundantly blesses. <clears throat> shall receive a hundredfold, shall inherit eternal life. What do we receive then for surrendering? That's the incredible part. That's the incredible beauty of the gospel. For our bitter bitterness, for our hatred, for our emotional turmoil and anxiety, he promises us love, joy, and peace. <clears throat> But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, long-suffering, gentleness, goodness, faith, meekness, temperance. This alone, this alone in this world would be reason enough to surrender everything we have. Just for the inner peace of this world. To have that rest. But there's eternal, there's eternal benefits there's eternal security. <clears throat> There's a world to come and life everlasting. And those are his promises. That's what he offers. So many times in our life, you know, we're like that boy in a headlock with our face on the ground, almost suffocating. And yet our pride keeps us from letting go. There we lie pinned to the ground by our very own choices and decisions we've made. And still we refuse to surrender to God. Many times those who have committed their lives to Christ in the past, for those who have committed their lives to Christ in the past, it can be the grace of God that brings them into that situation. To that dead end. God wants full surrender. He wants our heart. You know if you're pay praying for peace. If you're praying for his mercy. For his forgiveness. For his love. But you're asking. But you're not ready to surrender to him. You might not know what you're asking for. Because the only way to receive those things is to surrender to Him. 
to trust in him. It's the only way. Some of those struggles might be an answer to those prayers. God cares for us. He cares for you. He wants to prosper us. He wants to prosper you. He wants to give you peace. But we have to come to his terms. We won't do it by our own strength. We won't be able to do it by our own ambitions. We have to surrender our rights. Our reputation, our image, that image you're painting of who you are. You have to surrender your emotional hurts, even. That deep desire for justice, to see justice when someone hurt you. You have to surrender it all to him. So many times we sit and we watch our wounds fester with these things. We try to negotiate terms with God. When his terms are perfectly clear. Maybe they're not perfectly clear to everyone. But the key is to surrender and to trust in him. Will not the judge of all the earth do right? Sometimes it seems like what's keeping us from surrendering is we all have this inborn sense of justice. This has to be made right. But God is the judge. God will take care of it. You can trust him. You can trust him completely. Full surrender. Here's his terms, full surrender. Absolute surrender. And he will take care of everything. He will make right all your wrongs. He will judge righteously. He will make you his son and his daughter. He will give you life and peace. Abundant life and eternal life and peace. I want to close with this story of Jacob. If we look at the life of Jacob, you know he was a fighter. We all know. He fought for his rights. Literally. He fought for his birthright. He cheated, he lied, he tricked. He was going to get what he wanted, and he got what he wanted almost in every situation. He almost pulled it off with his own strength, with his own wit. His own intelligence. He almost pulled it off. I mean, I don't know how much of that the the deal with Laban was. 
God's intervention. The Bible seems to say he, he knew what he was doing. I don't know. But God got a hold of him when he was finally coming back home. There he wrestled with God and he finally surrendered. But he only surrendered after he was promised a blessing. But what struck me is that God always wanted to give him that blessing. All his life, God wanted, him, wanted to give him that blessing. When he was a young man, when he tried to get it by cheating, it was promised to him God was going to give him that blessing. But he had to surrender to him. He had to surrender. God wouldn't give him, give it to him by his own strength and ambition. He finally got the blessing, but he walked with a limp for the rest of his life. Sometimes it takes an injury for Jacob to receive his blessing. We have to surrender to God in humility. God wants to bless his children. And we can only receive his blessing if we're honest, open, and we trust in him. He's waiting like a good father for us to fight, stop fighting and struggling, and to trust him. And he is worthy of that trust. That's one thing we can that's one thing we can believe in. That's one thing we can trust in. That if we put our trust in him, he will not let us down. He won't disappoint us. He won't disappoint you. <clears throat> so surrender, what does it mean to surrender? To come to the place where we give up our rights and we put our trust in Him. Where we put down our defenses. Where we stop negotiating for better terms. Because God doesn't change His terms. And His terms are gloriously and wonderfully, wondrously, in our favor. If we truly recognize his terms for what they are. It's incredibly and incredible and beautiful promises. So amen.